Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman, and I'm excited today to have Andrew Shutsky kick off our first of several C-level episodes. So now as a high-tech sales pro, man, we spend hours internally talking about how do we get higher into accounts? How do we get to the CIO, the CISO, the C-level? Um, so I've been working hard to pull some favors with several CIOs and book them on the podcast to, to really share some insights from the other side of the desk of the C-suite. So Andrew is the CIO for the medical business at TE Connectivity. And you know I hadn't actually heard of TE Connectivity before, but I did, did some research and they manufacture solutions and components for power, electric vehicles, aircrafts, digital factories, smart homes, doing all kinds of work with uh, uh, life-saving medical care, sustainable communities, utility networks, and global communication infrastructure. They've been doing it for 75 years, partnering with customers to really produce highly engineered connectivity and sensing solutions that make a connected world. So I can't think of a better time to be in that business right now. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from uh, Andrew today. So Andrew, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to dig in a bit. Yeah, well, you are the inaugural C-level episode, so thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Kick it off. I got to so set the bar appropriately, right? All right. Well, hey, well, why don't we start off, uh, please share a little bit more about your background and your progression to the CIO role. Yeah, so I'll try to keep it brief. So I started with the collegiate background, went to Drexel, uh, information sciences, comp sci and business background, um, started, you know, interning while in college at SAP. So I'm back in the ERP space, was on the technical side, did web development, SQL, quickly learned that I didn't want to be in the tech, the deep technical side of things. I leaned a lot more towards business and supply chain, graduated, went into management consulting for Deloitte. Learned a ton. Uh, I was on the road 50 weeks a year for about five and a half years. Really thankful and blessed to have that experience, uh, but quickly got exhausted from the travel. I bet. I uh, took a local job at a local pharma med device company in a uh, suburb of Philly in Pennsylvania and uh, did more of like an in-house consulting gig for a while and then went into a number of roles. It was about nine years there. Uh, started in IT, was really big on the ERP and SAP space. And kind of found my niche as supply chain SNFP expert. So that led into getting out of IT and getting into some R&D PMO roles, and then later subsequently purchasing and supply chain and operations. And that's where I kind of found my groove. And I was in that role for quite a few years, I think about four uh, leaning into the operations side, but still, you know, my hands in some IT projects here and there. And then, uh, you know, kind of hit, I, I thought what I'd call hit a, a ceiling at that, at that role and started listening for opportunities, found the TE role, which was not the CIO position initially. It was more supply chain and ops directed, but they're like, hey, we love, we love your backgrounds. It kind of checked every box for me. 
maybe initially wasn't exactly what I was looking for. It wasn't what I had in mind, I should say, because it was back on the IT side. I'm like, well, I think I'd like to stay in ops, but so thankful I took that leap because I got in there, got my foot in the door, love the company, love the people I work with, and it's opened so many doors for me. So from there, you know, about a year in, quickly jumped into this medical role. I had the close tie into the operations side and really just connected with our medical team. And, uh, you know, tribute my boss at the time, who's moved on to a different role now, but he set me up uh, with the right people. We just hit it off. And now, you know, kind of leading a broader IT organization in the medical business unit. So really thankful for that. So yeah, what a interesting progression though, going from the focus on the logistics part of the business to the CIO. And yep. on one hand, I could kind of see it, right? Because I mean, in your role, it's, it's incredible logistics around just, you know, the complexity of an IT organization. Yeah. And I'd say, I think what it's not a, not a traditional path by any means, you wouldn't see this in a textbook, but I think what makes a great tech leader or even a tech salesperson or anybody is relatability, right? Like, have you been in the shoes of someone who's struggling with problems day to day? Mm. Are you battling with inventory issues? Are you battling with system stability? Are you battling with, you know, cost support quality or what challenges have you, and if you've lived in that, you've been held accountable to those KPIs, what better position to be in to help someone solve those with capabilities and software, right? So that's what I think makes a great tech leader is just having that relatability, you know, the emotional intelligence and being able to feel what they're feeling, right? What are you struggling with? What are you measured on? And how can I help you do your job? Yeah. How do I help you deliver? Bring some empathy to the to the discussion. Exactly. That's fascinating. So in your role, what I mean, what does a typical day or week look like for you? <laughs> No, I love that one. Uh, so first off, I should admit, there's really no typical day. Um, I work in a very, very global company uh, with a very global team spanning from Costa Rica, Mexico, West and East Coast, the US, Ireland, and a little bit of Asia presence. So even hours can vary quite a bit day to day. Um, there's some days that are like yesterday was quite a bit of firefighting. We had a you know, government cybersecurity attack in Costa Rica. <laughs> um, some days, like next week, I'll be spending with the leadership team in Minneapolis to one of our US headquarters facilities doing strategic planning and talent development. So there really, is, there really isn't a, a, a typical day, but it's a, it's a balance of you know, managing a team, managing the day-to-day, -day, building talent, uh, and building value for the organization strategically with longer-term initiatives like ERP and, and advanced analytics and stuff like that. So no typical day, but I, I love the variety. And I think that's why I really enjoy my job um, is just it is part of the variety and it's making a difference in the short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine, Andrew, you probably have some tips or some suggestions on how to balance that. Um, you know, when you look at your week, your month, your day, um, you know, for people that are running hard, how, you know, how do you prioritize and, and create focus on the things that matter? No, great question too. And it's something I'm refining constantly, right? I don't have the magic bullet, but I do have a process that I've been working on. So Sundays I reserve for taking a look at the week ahead. And if you do it too far in advance, things change so much. They're very dynamic, you know, vendor calls with, you know, tech professionals and internal team calls and one-on-ones. I like to take a broader look at the week ahead, you know, too soon, you know, sooner than that or further than that doesn't make a lot of sense. You just kind of see where my priority is going to be. What can I shift out? What can I pull in? What's going to be hot? Because the reality is priorities change every day, every week, usually every week. Uh, you need to fine tune a bit and remain flexible mm -hmm. and just keep your eyes on the bigger pictures. And as things bubble up, can you delegate? Can you push it out? Can you pull things in? You just need to be flexible and just realize that number one, it's only a job. 
You can't get emotional, just stay professional and just be fluid and just be open to change. Yeah. Wow. I have so many questions for you, but I want to, want to keep it focused here. Um, so, you know, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my listeners, they're sales, high-tech sales pros, high-tech sales leaders. Um, you know, how often, um, in a given week, do you meet with vendors or vendor reps? So it's interesting. Uh, when you say vendor, we've got, I got different interpretations of that because the way our organization is structured, you know, a lot of our internal teams act as vendors for us. We have, mm. you know, central support functions. We've got our own medical functions that we deal with internally. And then we have like truly third-party external vendors. So if you include both internal and external vendors, I would say every day. Um, wow. If you say external vendors, probably like once a month, maybe for, for different capabilities. We try not to do consume that every day because it you know, jerks things around. Um, but generally, the way our process works, is we'll set you know, a strategic direction around what capabilities do we have, what do we need, what are we missing, assess the gaps, assess our internal talent and capabilities. Like, what do we want to make versus buy decision, right? What do we want to play? What do, what do we have the competencies to do internally? And then if we have gaps, does it make sense to build that if it's a sustainable need for years to come? Or is it a temporary thing, like an ERP project? Hey, we need to ramp up 60 people. Mm-hmm. I don't need 60 people for five years, right? Or maybe I lean on my center team. But we have the advantage of having 10 different business units here to lean on expertise in different functions. But I can tell you, everybody's stretched thin. So, so when I pull in a, an external vendor, it's a matter of a lack of capability or missing capability, or it just could be straight up bandwidth and staff augmentation. So it depends, but yeah, I'd say generally every day there's some kind of cap- capability or bandwidth discussion happening. <laughs> yeah. So at, at some point when you're engaging an external vendor, you have a gap. Right. And you do it, you need to address that gap. That's correct. Yep. Um, and how often are you, so in that situation, are, are you, are you end up, do you end up reaching out to that vendor or have they hit you at the right time? Do you have an existing relationship? It's a combination of, uh, we get a lot of re- recommendations and referrals from, you know, adjacent business units or other CIOs uh, say, hey, sometimes it's an awareness issue, right? Like, hey, did you know you could be leveraging advanced analytics in this area? So there could be an awareness play, uh, or you could be leveraging machine metrics and, and automation intelligence that you're not doing. Or sometimes it's straight up, I need to go put out an RFP or an RFQ and say, we have a need, let's go bid it to, you know, our three closest relationships with our vendors existing. So it could be a mix of it's a sourcing event or it's an internal relationship referral type deal. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great point. So I was just recording another podcast yesterday and um, we, we were talking about the power of referrals. Um, and, you know, when you have a big account and you're working with a big company, um, there's other people within that organization that may have needs. And, you know, the fastest way you can add value is leveraging the work that you've already done versus trying to go. Cr- I mean, we all want new logos, but if you can go grow within an account, leverage the success that you've had, yeah, um, that's so powerful. Absolutely. And I can tell you as a client, you know, I think quality is a given, right? You know, customer response and, and meeting our needs is a given. What would set what sets the great vendors apart from maybe the good is being able to execute quickly, right? Because there's already enough bureaucracy sometimes in contracts reviewing, getting things set up. But if you already have, you know, if you already have a not working knowledge of an organization and some of the relationships built there, we value that too. It's not just a quicker in for you guys and a quicker commissions. It's better for us. We can get what we need faster, right? right? So I think that's what sets a lot of the you know competition apart. Yeah. Speed matters, right? Definitely. It's uh, You're not just doing a technology project for the heck of it. There's some business need on the other end and there's a timeline. I mean, that's the thing. Like everything we do, I should say, the majority of these strategic projects we do have an ROI, right? And we believe in those numbers. And the sooner we can, we can realize those benefits, the better off we are and the better off you guys are as service providers, right? So that's kind of a balancing act. 
So Andrew, I imagine you get a few inbound sales emails or calls periodically. Maybe somebody hits you up on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Yep. What, uh, what frustrates you about that? Uh, to, to be honest, it's not frustrating because I get so many of them. I just kind of, I filter them out and I use it more of an as needed basis, right? Like it's, if it's a cold outreach without a tie-in to a need then I, I just, again, you get three, four, maybe 400 emails a day. It doesn't frustrate me. I just scan through them. I mean, yeah. I just kind of, so yeah. I, yeah, it doesn't bother me. It's just, it's not an effective for me. It's not an effective means of communication. So yeah. Well, maybe give me an example of where somebody has reached out to you and you looked at it as like, man, they just hit the mark. Um, what was it that they did? Well, generally it's solicited, right? So if we have a need for uh, you know, machine connectivity, I'm just going to make up something and we know who the players would be um, and we know we started a sourcing event, then you know, we have engaging meaningful dialogue. And we ha- they have sense, some sense of what we want and we have some sense of what the capability provider can do. And that way it's a lot more tangible. It's a much better use of time on both sides. So yeah. um, the, that's the type of situation is an example that works well. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about speed and ability to navigate within the, uh, within the organization based on, on a relationship. But I think it back to maybe um, sales reps that you've worked with. Um, what are some that sort of rise to the top? You, know, you look at them and say, wow, they just did a great job. You know, that's the type of rep I want to engage with more often. So we talked a little bit about empathy before, you know, in being in the internal role. I think the same applies to, you know, I think back to the the great, uh, you know, third party providers. I mentioned I worked at Deloitte before. I think well, when we did a great job, we really spend the time getting to know the company, not only what they sell, what they do, who the customers are, what are they struggling with, do some interviews. Don't just jump right into the pitch, right? If you jump right into that without having a holistic understanding of what we're really battling with. So level with them, like, hey, here's, here's you know, start with where we understand where you're struggling, quantify whatever you can, and here we bring to the table, here's a solution, here's some options, right? You don't only come with one option because it's, it's always nice to have, you know, make it a, a two-way feedback loop during the presentation, right? Like, hey, here's what we think we heard. Can you help us refine that a bit and make it more of a two-way decision-making process, right? That way it's not a one-way pitch and it's a yes or no at the end. It's an iterative process that helps get me to one or two or three different outcomes. Yeah. It's interesting. So I have worked with some earlier career reps in the past and, you know, there's so initially there's some apprehension with, you know, going higher within the organization and they want to get everything perfect and they want to get everything right. And, you know, I've always encouraged them, Hey, go definitely go do your homework, go work within the organization. Um, But it's okay to have an opinion and not have it perfect because to your point, right, it's the dialogue. You don't know until you engage, but you need to come with some value and some suggestions to start that dialogue. Yeah. I mean, they always say don't make perfection the enemy of good, right? So uh, did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. Yeah. Don't, don't work. Don't worry too much about every detail, right? Uh, Like I I mentioned speed, I mentioned quality, but really you know, I, I can speak from my experience. I value the dialogue more than trying to get everything right coming in. Right? I'd rather, much rather have it be a two-way conversation, a working product. And I can give you, you know, a little bit of a tip too that like the decision making ultimately will maybe at the top, but we always look to our leaders for, for input. Right? So you convince them. You we, we get the right intelligence from I'll call it middle management. Uh, we can make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great input. So maybe flipping it around a little bit. So when you're thinking about uh, you know a large technology plan that that you feel might have some value to the business, yep. um, what is some of the process that you go through just in terms of thinking about it, or how, maybe how you distill a big complicated project 
down to something that the executive team can understand and digest? Yeah, it really comes down. A great question because we go through this. I would say not if not weekly, then definitely monthly. Um, and I feel like every week I'm I'm not pitching something, but presenting a new concept or idea to solve a problem. And it really comes down to a couple of things. One is how we help solving one of our existing challenges or meeting one of our goals, whether it's a revenue uh, goal or it's a cost opportunity, quality improvement. Um, start with what's going to resonate with their mind, right? Am I solving a quality issue? Am I solving a data intelligence issue by means of like, hey, we get into our supplier view and we just lack the ability to make quick decisions. And here's a tool to help work with that. And I always work with our business leaders to say, how do we quantify what that means? Mm. So is it an improvement in efficiency, which a lot of times it is? Is it improvement in productivity for our teams? What does the world look like without this solution, Right. It may be, hey, we're going to grow to a $2 billion company. I need to grow the cost of customer care by 50%. That's $3 million. However, we can roughly agree with a solution, with a, a self-service platform, just making this up. Right. This, this is a recent example. Um, maybe that I would commit to, hey, I don't need that many people. I can bring that down a bit. So it always comes back to what am I solving? How do I help meet those objectives and goals? And what options do I have? Because they're looking to us as a solution provider, right? Just like we would a vendor, just like you got, they would to us internally. How can you help us, right? We're struggling here, man. Uh, help us grow the business. Help us solve a cost issue. Help us solve something and give us a couple of options. Make it an iterative process. Do you ever, um, when, when asking the question about how to quantify it, do you ever push back and, and maybe suggest that they reduce or adjust how they quantify it uh, based on what you feel you can deliver? Yeah, it's usually I try to keep it an open conversation. And most of the time, they won't know benchmarks. So it's like, I don't know where to start, right? So they'll say, hey, you know, Andrew or team, can you go pull some Gardner data or something third party to give us a starting point, right? Like, hey, is it a 5 or 10% efficiency play? Uh, are we looking at cost of sales reduction or some metric? Like, give us some input. They usually look to us as a starting point. I'll say, okay, industry is 20% reduction here. Um, again, that this, this can be fluffy. It can be real. What if we took half of that? Mm -hmm. Tell me, does that, does that make sense? Would you commit to that? Because ultimately that's what I'm looking for is functional commitment buy-in to say, we're going to invest a million dollars in this platform. Does it bring a half a million dollars annual benefits to you? Can you, does that make sense? Does that make, does that feel real? Will you sign up for that value? Because ultimately when we go to commit those dollars to our CFO, he's looking for functional ownership and commitment of, does this make sense to you? Do you buy in? Can I hold you accountable to this? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, um, you know, and I want to be respectful of your time. So just a couple more questions, but um, sure. from a cloud perspective, right? A lot of, a lot of clients are moving a lot of their infrastructure, yep. both to public clouds, as well as SaaS type apps. Um, I don't know if you have a crystal ball or not, but you know, what do you see uh, you know, down the road? Um, do we continue to have sort of a balance between in the cloud and on the prem, or do you think it'll all eventually move into AWS and Google and so on? Yeah, I mean, trend-wise, we're, we're heavy on the cloud and AWS front right now. Um, yeah, I do see that as a longer-term trend. No reason to believe that we revert back to local on-prem stuff. But um, yeah, I, I see no reason to believe outside of maybe some security mishaps that may come up. But the uh, you know, I think there's I'm reading a finance book right now, and it's always like you know these things that come up in the future, they're never predicted, right? So there could always be some third-party variable that can disrupt that. But for right now, everything we know tends to be leaning towards, hey, it makes a lot of sense from a business perspective, from a value perspective, sustainability and cost perspective um, to go to AWS cloud service provider. 
Yeah. Well, you mentioned security and, uh, you know, more and more uh, companies now are, are starting to dig deep just because of the, you know, the current Russian conflict. What, uh, I mean, what's top of mind right now for you uh, as it relates to just overall IT security? Really just make, keep it as simple as possible, keeping the lights on, like keeping the business humming. I mean, we can't afford, it's, it always feels like we're up against a month and close. So from a business leader perspective, just don't dis- do everything we can to prevent and mitigate potential risks uh, and issues, right? And just keep the lights on, right? So do everything you can, be as proactive as you can, have an ear to the ground, keep up with current trends, keep our environment current, complete, and accurate, and compliant. Uh, simple as that. Yeah. What's about, you know, it's, it's tough because security is one of those areas where you can spend endless amounts of money to, to just find that additional area you can secure. What's that balance? It's a broad question. What's that balance of just having the proactive security versus that good enough? How do you judge or measure that? Yeah. I mean, every industry is going to have a different take on that. Like, you know, where we're at not quite as vulnerable as like a government agency, or I used to work, you know, in aerospace and defense, and that was a whole lot more they may invest a much higher percent of revenue than like a medical device company would, right? Because we're not as high on the radar. So it really depends on, you know, I've been in different industries, but primarily between medical, industrial technology and aerospace and defense. And in that aerospace defense side, they lean towards the overkill side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so whereas, yeah, it's more of a risk threat assessment type deal where how much we invest or how proactive, how many bodies we put towards it, how many vendors we engage with will depend on what we assess the threat level to be. Yeah. And sometimes there's segments, right? It's may, you know, not, not all apps are created equally, right? So Correct. Well, hey, Andrew, so a th- one of the themes of the podcast in general, the idea is you first need to learn from the best in order to earn like the best. And once you've earned it, how do you take some of those harder commission dollars and redeploy it in ways that create additional freedom? And you and I, uh, we actually met through uh, the real estate industry. Uh, we do some similar stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about once you earn it, how do you invest it to build that, that future and that freedom? Yeah. So one of the things that's, uh, that's been prominent for me, I've always been, you know, a stock investor, a 401k guy from 20 plus years ago. And, you know, somewhere along the lines of the last, let's say five years, I started to look at really thinking about how to diversify a bit because I lived through the volatility of the dot-com stuff early on in 2008, 2009. And then now we've got a lot going on, you know, politically, economically, you know, with COVID and, you know, you mentioned the Ukraine thing. And uh, you know, a few years back, I got serious about like getting heavier into real estate. I've been in real estate since 2007, and, and on smaller scale, single family, short term rental stuff, and really started to think about how do I put more. I really enjoy it; it's a passion of mine. How do I put a few more chips on the table to help accelerate the journey of diversification? You know, create tax advantage, wealth, and ultimately leave behind a legacy. I want to do more than with my with my earnings. Um, the RSUs, the stock options, the bonuses, no commissions for me. I'm not a sales guy, but, right. but same concept, right? right? How do I make the most of that? How do I make the most of reducing volatility and just growing wealth year over year? So I got into multifamily uh, in late 2020 as an awesome, awesome vehicle for wealth generation and wealth preservation. And uh, started as a limited partner investor, you know, bought into a deal locally, um, did a bunch of research on bigger pockets, read a bunch of books. I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. I love to be a little bit more involved. So then I started reaching out to my fellow technology and engineering professionals, professionals and started looking for partners and bringing them deals. So every deal I'd invest in, I'd share it with my investor network and now it's spiraled upwards over a hundred people. So quickly escalated and it's become uh, more than a passion of mine and happy to spread the words. I think it's a, it's, it's a hidden gem uh, in the investing world that I tell all my technology professionals and I love to share and educate them along the way. 
Yeah. You know, I, uh, I originally started doing smaller investments uh, and I was, um, had just bought my first duplex prior to the dot-com bubble. And uh, I, I was uh, heavy into, I, I was working at Lucent at the time. So all my stock was Lucent, all my ESPP was Lucent and all of that was great until it wasn't. And so I watched it go down to zero. And I remember I had a future partner of mine. He had been buying a, a smaller apartment buildings here in the Portland market and he'd had them for a long time. But I was, you know, he was retired, working 10, 15 hours a week, picking up quarters, pick, doing weeds around the units. But I was watching him make a really good six-figure income yeah. as the bubble was bursting, while a lot of his well-to-do friends, um, they were dialing back the trips, the foreign travel, you know, they, you know, their, their stocks had gone down and their fixed income um, was shrinking and they were starting to get a little bit nervous. And so for me, that was a really good wake up call to see him go through that as I was losing my entire portfolio after the dot-com bubble. So I'm, a, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan on the real estate side. I mean, I'm also, I believe in diversification, so I don't yeah. just do one thing, but um, I've right. definitely shifted more to the real estate side. Yeah. Same here. And there's no magic, you know, magic bullet and there's no only, I'll never be a hundred percent invested in one, but I'm with you. Um, and it depends on where you're at in your career, right? If you're, you know, you still got maybe 10, 20 years of your working life or, or more, you're, you're looking for, hey, can I can I have some passive income to build on the side? Can I can I can offset some of that with appreciation, right? I can I can hold on for longer. Whereas if I'm you know 62, 65, right. I'm looking purely for cash flow, right? If I can't wait five, 10 years for a development project, I love to have that, you know, six, eight, 10 percent year over year now. So the type of the type of offerings that I'll look to line people up with will depend on where they're at in their life cycle. Yeah. Well, Andrew, two, two last questions. Number one, um, what do you do to give back? So a couple of things, I mean, on the professional, you know, W2 side of things, and actually even in the real estate side of things, I love to mentor people. You know, I, I try to be selective as I can for people that are really serious and really motivated. And a lot of people will reach out from doing podcasts like this. And I love to have, you know, a 15, 20, 30 minute conversation with them. Where are you at with your goals? Where are you at with your career? Maybe that becomes a full-time thing mine someday. I just really enjoy seeing people flourish, people that are really willing to put in the work and, and kind of devour all the information and take recommendations and follow up and take action. Uh, that's my number, my number one. And number two is I run my own podcast and I love to share and interview my conversations I have with people like yourself, one-on-one or two-on-one and broadcast that to the world. So I love to share my learnings with them. Yeah. And what is the name of your podcast? Uh, it's a crushing cash flow. Okay. So go check out the crushing cash flow. Um, and then Andrew, if somebody wants to get hold of you, how can they reach out? Yeah. So best way to get a hold of me, you know, professionally and personally is through our website uh, with, with our uh, investing firm called Redline Equity. And their website is www.investwithredline.com. And from there, you can get to our podcast. We write blogs every week. We've got a free eight-part learning series geared towards technology and engineering professionals who are looking at investing in real estate, want to learn more about it, learn more about our firm, who we work with, what types of deals we do. Um, get everything through the website. You can sign up on there and get everything through there. So, All right. Well, check them out. Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I know I'm your seventh call for the day, so I really appreciate the time. All good, man. It's a blast. Thanks, Chris. All right. Take care. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this 
your best week ever. 